Now, yesterday morning, or yesterday morning, yesterday afternoon, we had a uh, father-daughter, uh, grandfather-granddaughter event here, uh, and and uh, one one of the main components of that was this uh, this thing where you were dipping things into chocolate. Okay, and uh, they had these peeps. You know what peeps are? They're these little marshmallow things, look like chicks. Okay, I'm not a marshmallow fan, so this this test would be just fine for me. But uh, these kids, man, they love these things. And all they had to do, really, was to take these little marshmallow peeps and dip them into chocolate and wait a couple of minutes, and they could eat them. But they couldn't wait. They were eating these things before they could even dip them in the chocolate. I mean, they, you know, talk about the temptation. It was this, this video, you know, lived out right here in real life, but they couldn't wait 30 seconds, let alone 30 minutes for the thing. But I tell you what, Ecclesiastes is, is really a primary verse for our series now, and, and it says that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, which means this, that if there's a season for every activity under heaven, there's one activity which is common to people, everyone in this room, and that is temptation, which means that there is a season of temptation, a season of temptation. Now, calling it a season of temptation does not mean that, you know, there is an end to temptation in this life. But rather, what it means is that there is a ebb and flow. There is a uh, greater time of temptation and a lesser time of temptation. Uh, you know, a, a season of temptation is where it becomes most pronounced. And if you find yourself in a season of temptation, I want you to know that you are in good company because Jesus went through a season of temptation out in the wilderness. After 40 days of fasting, Jesus was hungry. Understandably so. He was hungry. So Satan met Jesus and tempted him at his weakest point. Now think about this for just a second. What is your weakest point? You know, what is that? What, what is your weakest point? You don't have to tell anybody, okay? But it's there that you are most likely to be tempted. There, at that point, is where Satan is most likely to come at you and tempt you, as, as he did with Jesus. Matthew 4, 3. The tempter came to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, what's wrong with what Satan said to Jesus? After all, it's not going to be too much longer in Jesus' life when he is taking almost nothing and turning it into bread to feed 5,000 people. So what's wrong now with taking some stones and making that into bread? Well, this isn't that time. And also, when it is that time, Jesus will not be tempted to do this for his own sake. He will be using that event of feeding the 5,000 to teach his disciples about how to expand their expectations of God and what God, God's power is and what God can do in this life. So Jesus said to Philip, at that time, when he was feeding the 5,000, in John chapter 6, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Philip fell for the temptation to set his sights and his expectations based on worldly expectations instead of expectations that surround Jesus. 
as soon as he learned that the world's expectations were okay for the old Philip, you know, they, they were okay for that Philip. But now that we've got this new Philip, this one who follows Jesus, those kinds of expectations are too small. He learned something through this time of trial. And now, out there in the wilderness, Jesus himself was tempted. Temptation is something that every one of us faces. Everyone in this room faces temptation. Like this temptation with Jesus, though, sometimes temptation is a difficult thing to spot. It can be subtle. It can be something that at first seems to be okay. It seems to be just kind of sneaking up on us. So since temptation is that way oftentimes, the very first thing we need to do is to learn to recognize what sin is. So what is sin? Sin, according to the Ten Commandments, is that which causes relationships to be broken, the relationship that we have with God, the relationship that we have with others. We can see in the Ten Commandments there are what are called the two tables of the Ten Commandments where we have these commandments that have to do with our relationship with God over here, and then we have these commandments that have to do with our relationship with people over here. So when I put other things or people before God, that is causing a rift between God and myself. It's causing a break in our relationship, and that is sin. When I do things like uh, uh, when, I, when I treat that God as though he doesn't matter, as though his name, his reputation, uh, actually we're not quite that far yet. Uh, we can roll back just a little bit, okay? Uh, when I treat God like he doesn't matter, like, uh, you know, his, his reputation isn't important, like his name is not all that significant, that causes a rupture in our relationship. And that is not, and that would be sin. And uh, when I steal or lie or commit adultery, those are the kinds of things that rupture my relationship with other people. And that is sin. But you can also sin against yourself. You can also sin against yourself in, in ways that, that causes harm to yourself. And that is a real violation against what God thinks of you. Because Jesus paid the price for you. You are that valuable to God. The problem with sin is that it causes problems. The problem with sin is that it causes problems. And those problems are painful. And in the Bible, it takes sin deadly seriously. It's what led Adam and Eve to be expelled from paradise. And it was what nailed Jesus to that cross. But the tempter wants you to believe that sin is really no big deal. There's only immediate gratification with no cost. After all, Jesus, you're hungry, aren't you? And, you know, you have to eat to live. And it, what, what a shame it would be to um, have this wonderful earthly ministry that you've come into this earth to bring come to a tragic end because you died of hunger out here in the wilderness. So Jesus, why don't you just take these stones and make them into bread? Oh, Satan is so subtle. And what sounds good and harmless at the beginning leads to broken marriages, damaging legacies with your children, ruined careers, and shame 
brought to the cross of Christ. Sin is serious business. I once heard it said, and I, I like this analogy, I, I once heard it said that sin is like the show The Walking Dead. Now, you know, I'm not, I can't say that I'm a fan of The Walking Dead or something like that, but it was, it was you know, this, this show that had huge popularity. And, uh, you know, we, among all the various plots and things like that, the basic plot is this, that we've got these zombies walking around, The Walking Dead, who bite those who are not zombies, and then they become zombies. Okay, that's basically, you know, the, the fundamental plot of the show. And that's the way that it is with sin, is that, is that uh, what you've got is those who are ruled by sin, who are guided by sin in their life, who have no way to really deal with sin, might walk around like the rest of us, and they look like they, they might be alive, but inside they are dead because sin leads to death. So the key is here, don't get bit. Don't get bit because, because you don't want to be the walking dead. You don't want to walk around dead inside. Instead, you want to experience the fullness of life that Christ came to bring to you. So how do you avoid getting bit? How do you combat temptations to sin? Well, you take sin seriously, and this involves recognizing what it is, and what it is not. So first of all, the temptation itself is not sin. Temptation is not sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. While tempting you in one way, Satan is also tempting you in this way, to see temptation itself as though it is sin, so that you might feel guilty about even being tempted, as though, yeah, you know, I'm the worst person on the planet here because I'm being tempted in this way. But no, temptation itself is not sin. We know this because we see that Jesus himself is tempted, and yet we know that he did not sin. Temptation is something that is common to people. The temptation itself is not sin, but acting on the temptation is sin. Having the zombies come after you to bite you is not a great thing. But what really is the problem is when you get bit. It's not the same thing. It's not a good situation to be sure to have them come after you, but it isn't the same thing as actually being bitten. Jesus was tempted, yet he did not sin. The temptation itself is not sin. So second, watch your focus. What would seem to make sense when you're tempted is this, is to repeat to yourself something like, oh, don't think about that thing, don't go there, don't, you know, whatever that might be. But here, you know, if, if let's say that you, uh, if you take an alcoholic, okay, and the alcoholic keeps repeating to themselves, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink. What are they thinking about? Drinking. Exactly. Which means that if your approach to temptation is, oh, don't think about that, don't do that, don't do it, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about that. It's going to be very difficult not to fall if all you're thinking about is that thing or that person or whatever that is. So instead of that, you've got to watch your focus and fill your mind with 
and in terms of Alcoholics Anonymous, your higher power, which is Jesus. Because we, you see, are addicted to sin. And in order to be able to deal with this addiction, we need to adjust our focus away from that thing to which we are addicted and instead adjust it over to Jesus, who is the cure. Watch your focus. Acknowledge the temptation. That's a good thing to do. That you don't want to go down that road. And then focus on Jesus. When you fill your heart and your mind with Him, then there's no room for that temptation to get a foothold. And you won't get bit. Third, inoculate yourself against falling. Each one of Jesus' three temptations in this story begin with the little word, if. And the first two say, if you are. The third one is different. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the first two talk about if you are, which means that these two questioned his identity. Jesus came into the wilderness right straight from his baptism at the Jordan River. It was a triumphal moment. It was a time when, you know, he was there with these people and, and John the Baptist and he went under it and, you know, it was just the start of something great and something new and something fresh. And it says there in Matthew chapter 3, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. The father already clearly established who Jesus was for everybody to hear. Did Jesus not hear? Why would he be tempted now to question his identity when it's already and so recently been so clearly established? Because Jesus was tempted in ways that are common to people. We read about that in the Scripture. And if we see anything in our time today, what we see is this, is a temptation to question your identity, to question your worth, your value. That was what Jesus faced in his season of temptation. You can inoculate yourself against this temptation by grounding your identity in Jesus. Get your value and your worth from him. I mean, you listen to those words that the Father was saying to, to Jesus. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God says similar things to you. And when you allow God to get close to you and you know his love for you, that this is the creator of the universe who loves you so deeply and so profoundly, you don't need to find your value in something else. It inoculates you against the temptation of if you are, if you are okay, if you are valuable, if you are worthwhile. It's to, it's to inoculate yourself against being bit by grounding your identity in God's love for you. And then there's that third if. If you do. It had to do with values that guide actions, that guide Jesus' actions and what Jesus might do. It says Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. 
Now, part of, part of me, you know, when I read this, my, my response is, ah, oh, Jesus, don't, 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 don't take that bait. But another part of me says, come on, this one is an obvious one. I mean, there's no way in the world that Jesus is going to do this. But really, this temptation is not quite as obvious as it might at first seem because a person worships what it is that they value. That's what they worship. And oftentimes, you know, we think of worship in terms of a religious sense, but, but really, we worship what we value. It's what they honor, what they sacrifice to and for, what they will change their behavior around. It includes that to which they direct their attention, that to which they organize their time and their money. So what values guide your behaviors? What values guide those behaviors? For Jesus, his behaviors were guided by the value that he, that he had in God's word. The very first temptation of humans is the very first temptation I think that all of us face, and that is to question the validity of God's word. Where Satan said to Adam and Eve, did God really say, was the very first temptation of people. Once they took that bait and began to question God's word and the validity and the authority of God's word, the rest was easy. It was easy to fall at that point. Jesus didn't fall because his life was guided by God's word. So if you want to stand, if you do not want to be bit, if you want to be able to withstand that temptation, you can inoculate yourself by valuing God's word. When high school students who are in search of an identity are offered one that is not in keeping with God's word, what will they do? If there's no guidance from God's word, they are subject to do according to public opinion and political correctness. When a person in the workplace is faced with an ethical choice, an ethical dilemma, what will they do? If there is no guidance from God's word, that person is subject to the allure of what everybody else is getting away with. If a husband or wife is tempted to find their value and worth in the arms of someone who is not their spouse, what will they do? If there's no guidance from God's word, that person may do something that will irreparably damage the very relationships that are most important in life. Of course, there are times during a season of temptation when we're going to fall. We're not going to make it through. And what happens then? Well, unfortunately, for many of us, what we're going to find out is that you do, sow, you, do, you do reap what you sow. There are ramifications in this life that are real. And it, sin does cause pain. But you also will discover that there's a that there is good news here. That you're also left in the God of the, sec- the hands of the God of the second chance. The one who can give you a new start. The one who loves you enough to come to you to say, there is forgiveness. And Jesus came into this world for that. To take that sin on the cross with him and to nail it there and to leave it there so that you can get up again and you can stand with him on the path that seeks after him instead of being controlled by sin. So which is it going to be? Well, for Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said to Satan, Away from me, Satan, 
For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Which means that God is here for you too. Angels are here to tend to you. You know, they are here to support you. Because God doesn't want death. Jesus came into this world to bring you fullness of life. Fullness that comes from following him. Let's pray.